The scripture reading is from Matthew chapter 13, verses 1 to 23. That same day, Jesus went out of the house and sat beside the sea. And great crowds gathered about him so that he got into a boat and sat down. And a whole crowd stood at a beach. And he told them many things in parables, saying, A sower went out to sow, and as he sowed, some seeds fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured them. Other seeds fell on rocky ground, where they did not have much soil, and immediately they sprang up since they had no depth of soil. But when the sun rose, they were scorched, and since they had no root, they withered away. Other seeds fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked them. Other seeds fell on good soil and produced grain, some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. He who has ears, let him hear. Then the disciples came and said to him, Why do you speak to them in parables? And he answered them, To you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it has not been given. For to the one who has, more will be given, and he will have in abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. This is why I speak to them in parables, because seeing they do not see, and hearing they do not hear, nor do they understand. Indeed, in their case, the prophecy of Isaiah is fulfilled that says, You will indeed hear, but never understand, and you will indeed see, but never perceive. For this people's heart has grown dull, and with their ears they can barely hear, and their eyes they have closed, lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears, and understand with their heart, and turn, and I would heal them. But blessed are your eyes, for they see, and your ears, for they hear. For truly I say to you, many prophets and righteous people long to see what you see, and did not see it, and to hear what you hear, and did not hear it. Hear then the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown in his heart. This is what was sown along the path. And as for what was sown on rocky ground, this is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Yet he has no root in himself, but endures for a little while. And when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately he falls away. As for what was sown among thorns, this is the one who hears the word. But the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. As for what was sown on good soil, this is the one who hears the word and understands it. He indeed bears fruit and yields, in one case a hundredfold, in another sixty, and in another thirty. This is the word of the Lord. Well, good morning, and it's good to be here again. I believe the last time I was here, there was all this plexiglass screen up, and uh, it, just, it just felt like I was talking into the wind. But it's so great to see live faces behind the plexiglass. Um, Janet and I are pleased to be back here. For some of you, we're old friends that have been here by about 13, 14 years ago. Uh, we were here, then we went to our sister church at Grace Fellowship, and uh, for those who don't know me, I'm Doug Estella, I'm an ordained minister in the Reformed Church in America, which is another brand of Presbyterian. And uh, 
For those who are visiting, especially if you're here for the first time, no need to be shy because I'm a visitor too. So we join together to hear God's word as it's proclaimed. Would you pray with me? Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of all our hearts be acceptable in your sight. And may we, in all that we, I say and we hear and do, be filled with the presence of Jesus. In his name, amen. Now, if you've been upstate in the Catskills, between uh, the little towns of Pine Hill and Margaretville, some of you may know that area, uh, in the Catskills along Route 28, there's a sign that we only recently discovered on a, a recent trip. And it says, uh, it announces the divide between two watersheds. Now, in my limited mind, I thought the only divide was somewhere out there by the Mississippi, you know, east and west. But there are these other divides, and this one, east of that sign, all the waters uh, that gather drain into the Hudson River and come down out here in New York. West of it, the creeks and streams drain into the Delaware River, which empties into the Atlantic south of Philadelphia. And as the name suggests, uh, watersheds are areas where the, the water drains into a common river. So each stream, brook, or kill, as they call them upstate, finds its way into one of the two great rivers I just mentioned. Each trickle of water contributes to the volume and the flow of the great stream many miles below. Last year, when I was doing some studies in the parables, I came across a commentator, not that well-known, Robert Farrar Capon, who wrote a book on the parables. And he refers to this parable of the sower as the watershed of parables. The watershed of parables. He says to this to demonstrate that all the other parables will take their cue from this parable as an illustration of the kingdom of God. That is to say, that all the elements of this parable may be found in some form or another in the other parables of Jesus, based on the images of the kingdom found here in Matthew 13. In one way or another, grace is at work in these parables. In one way or another, he's, Jesus is speaking and drawing all of us into that story of God's, that is, the kingdom of God. Now, by way of reminder, and especially in this church, I wouldn't have to remind any of us that the parables of Jesus aren't fables or morality tales. I trust we all know that. But rather, they are windows. Windows on the eternal purposes of God to renew a sad and broken world. These stories point us to the reality of the inbreaking of the kingdom of God into the world, and yet at the same time, they illustrate how the kingdom will grow slowly and imperceptibly in an often hostile and indifferent environment until it comes to full fruition in the fullness of time. The parables are not morality tales. 
They're not comparable to Aesop's fables, which intend to teach us a lesson, but rather are windows into the purposes and plans of God. In other words, Jesus is taking something quite radical, quite beyond human categories, such as the kingdom of God and the renewal of this earth, and he's illustrating it in common human terms through these parables. Agriculture, commerce, family relationships, civil and religious disputes. And yet all of them, according to, to this commentator, Capon, draw from this parable of the sower. Today's parable, of course, takes its cue from agriculture. A sower went out to sow, Jesus says. Well, who is the sower? Jesus' own interpretation of the parable doesn't quite answer that question. Most of the time I heard this parable, and I suspect many of us have heard it explained, that the sower was identified as either Jesus or the word preached, taught, proclaimed. The gospel. And the seeds as representing the word of God or the message of the gospel itself. And the various conditions of soil were said to represent the different classes of hearers of that word. Often with the guilt-inducing conclu <laughs> guilt conclusion, and how many times have we heard this? If this were an adult ed class, I'd ask for a show of hands. What kind of soil are you? Well, I want us to relax. Forget about it. Rest assured. I'm not going to ask you, what kind of soil are you? Because, well, I'll get to that conclusion in a moment. This is not an interpretation that you're going to hear today. Instead, I'll follow a different track of interpretation. Again, citing my source as this commentator, Robert Farrar Capon, in his book on the parables. Instead, I'll follow what I believe aligns more closely to what Jesus is actually teaching and to what the parables in general are all about. I think I already hinted at that in the beginning, that they're all about windows into the kingdom and how it works, windows into God's grace. Consider that the sower is in fact God the Father, and the seed is the word personified in Jesus himself, in the flesh, incarnate, the personal embodiment of the kingdom of God, our Savior Jesus. And the venue is the world. The scope is universal. And so with this framework of interpretation, let's dig into the parable a bit. And the soils and conditions on which the seed fall and represent the real-life responses to the gospel or the various ways you and I, we, respond to the gospel. What Jesus is doing in this parable, my friends, is describing things the way they are and not prescribing the way things ought to be. He's prescribing, describing the things the way they are in this fallen world and the impact of the word on it. 
Consider the fact that God has already sent his only begotten son into the world and that his son, the, world, the word, is already active in the world today. The kingdom is here. We've just prayed. We've prayed for individuals. We've prayed for uh, the church. We've prayed for the mission. We've prayed for the world. God's work is ever-present and acting now. The kingdom is here, not in its fullness to be sure, but it is nevertheless often imperceptibly, often opposed, often drowned out, but never ineffective. Most of all, God's word is never destroyed. And so God continues to work in the world in ways that do not depend on us. What we may see is the failure or decline in such circumstances, such as the decline of the institutional Christianity in this country in the past four decades. One can make this follow the statistics. And it would look like on the surface that the world is winning and the kingdom is losing. But don't lose heart. God's word is active and ever-present in this world. In other words, the success of the kingdom isn't dependent on us, on membership roles of churches or advancement of the church as institution. And unlike earthly kingdoms or empires, the kingdom of God grows and succeeds counterintuitively to all our expectations of success. All we have to do is consider, and this I'll get to the parable, we have to consider the attempts in history to destroy the faith whether through outright persecution or subtle pressure, none have succeeded. For example, the Roman Empire, it tried for three centuries to eradicate the fledgling church and failed to arrest its growth in spite of persecution and social pressure. Jump 20 centuries later and the atheistic Soviet Union tried to eliminate Christianity in Russia, but it failed. And yet the faith prevails even now in communist China, where there is persecution such that it does not stop the growth of the Christian faith to the extent that it is one of the most rapidly growing areas of the gospel. And while church attendance and membership may decline in our own country, God is still at work, as all the parables indicate in his left-handed way of persuading people to follow Jesus in the way of love and humility. Now, a word about that left-handed power of God. I don't think that's mentioned very often. We've all heard about God's right-handed power, right? In the scriptures, we hear of the, of the power of God to deliver his people from slavery in Egypt with his right hand and an outstretched arm parting the sea, calling down manna from heaven, causing the mountains to smoke, the earth to shake, the right-handed power of God to make things happen in a very physical and forceful way. But, and here again, I owe, I owe this to my commentator, Origen, the left-handed power of God is his power to persuade. This power of his word to convict, to woo, to draw, to bring into 
love and relationship and fellowship with Jesus Christ through the Holy Spirit and with God the Father. His left-handed power represents this word of conviction and persuasion through the prophets and ultimately through our Lord Jesus Christ. And so that in short, the parables, this one and all the rest, are part of that left-handed power of God that winsomely draws us in and brings us to the place of repentance, faith, fellowship, and family. Okay, now in case you were wondering, let's get to, that, to the nitty-gritty of that parable. This parable, as I mentioned, and I, and I do embrace this idea that it is the, the watershed of all the parables, for in it we see the operation of grace. In it we see the operation of that wooing, loving, persuading, left-handed power of God in Christ, working in each and every one of us, not to divide us into what kind of soil are you, but to get to that ultimate place where we know you and I know that Jesus is speaking to all of us individually and as a church and not simply compartmentalizing us, but rather giving us different pictures of what it's like to live as a follower of Christ in the real world. Okay, let's go. The first is the path, the paved road, the path where the seeds fall upon the, the pavement, and there is no soil. There's nothing for them to take root in. So no wonder the birds swoop down and help themselves to a free meal. You see that? It's so obvious. And yet Jesus likens this scenario to the evil one snatching the word from the hearers before they even have a chance to give it consideration. Think of, maybe for some of us, before we would hear the word of the gospel. For those of us who experienced a later conversion in life, there was perhaps a time when we wouldn't hear anything of it. One of my dearest friends, and a friend of this church, actually, I can mention his name, Shannon Estreicher was not a believer when he started attending Redeemer Church. In fact, he's, he told me many times, he would hear Dr. Keller and just say, well, that's, this is nonsense. He would blow it off. It would seem as if the word was snatched right out of, right out of his life. But no, thanks be to God, he came to profess faith in Jesus Christ and was baptized at Redeemer Church by none other than the late Dr. Keller. And so therefore, we cannot, must not, attempt to walk into humankind as if those are the ones that are that soil, the path, you see? For at some point, all of us have the experience of, if you will, blocking the word of God given to us, or rather, turning a deaf ear to Christ, 
maybe moments in my own life of prayerlessness, of just sheer laziness, and oh, I'll get around to it someday, but I didn't, to praying, reading scripture. I also have a, uh, a brother-in-law who is an atheist, a very ardent one, very articulate. We've had some good conversations. I tried to explain to him that religion and science are not enemies, that uh, you don't have to choose the one or the other. You know, the science is all about the how, faith is about the why, you know. But the smartest arguments I could come up with, he blew me off. But you know what the, good, the word of grace here is? While he still lives, while we still, we have, by the way, a great loving relationship, you never know what God's going to do. You never know. And uh, sometimes I think, you know, I'll read up some more Keller uh, stuff to see if I can do some more persuasion. And it seems like the more I do, the worse it gets. And so it's the Holy Spirit. It is grace, all of grace. And so there are times when all of us are that, that beaten path, that rocky road where the word has a difficulty, difficult time penetrating. But then Jesus comes along and he says there's another area. There's that rocky ground, that rocky ground where there's some soil, there's some stones, there's some rocks, and... Um, stuff grows. It, it reminds me of uh, where we live. I got my next door neighbor, second floor. There's this beautiful plant, at least there was, I think they removed it now, growing right between the bricks outside their bathroom window. And I see it, I used to see it all the time, look at it, watch it grow. And um, I knew that eventually, if not removed, it would, it would wither and die eventually but not without also causing some damage to the mortar. And, uh, but them being my neighbors and stuff that I, I'm reluctant to tell my neighbors what to do, so I didn't say anything about it. But Jesus is getting at here, and once again, an experience that, that perhaps all of us have experienced from time to time as believers. We go to a retreat. We go to a wonderful worship service. We hear a fantastic speaker. The music moves us, and, and we're lifted into, into this, this euphoria of praise and worship and, and overwhelming feelings of love for God. Yet once we go out the door and back on the street and see the parking ticket on our core, everything is shot to pieces, right? And then our faith, well, maybe not fundamentally, but in small increments, falters. You see, this isn't just about the people whom we knew and love and who were ardent in the Lord and sang in the choir and, and, and even uh, shared their testimony who have fallen away, it seems. Just like my atheist brother-in-law, God ain't done with them yet. He's not done with us now. And so the rocky ground is an experience, once again, that is common 
to all of us and not simply one set of humanity that will, that will fake it and then fall away. And then finally, of course, the thorns. And I think this one's closest to home. It certainly is to me. It represents the distractions of this life, the distractions of the realities of, the king, in, of life in the kingdom, the realities that exist when we walk out those doors, the realities that exist at 8 o'clock tomorrow morning when we, well, we're all day off tomorrow, right? When we go back to work. Jobs, careers, education, relationships, hardships, challenges, successes, and failures alike can blind us, blind me, to the presence of Christ in our midst. We, all, we just lose sight of it sometimes. The Christian life, that's just how it works in a fallen world. But thanks be to God, these things that have a way of blocking our vision of the kingdom and cause, that cause us to ask, where's God? Where are you, Lord? As we pray with the Psalms. I'm reminded to regain that perspective that comes from that wooing, drawing power of Jesus in this parable that was put into beautiful verse by George Herbert, 17th century Anglican poet, who said, a man may look on glass and on it may stay his eye. Or if he pleaseth, through it pass, and then the heavens espy. My friends, we're all in this boat together to change the metaphor. How many times do the concerns and the preoccupations of, of life get in the way of the vision of things eternal and of the ultimate of, of ultimate importance? I don't know about you, but I certainly do. And here again, it is important to know that God's word is alive and active and at work in our lives and in the world and in those whom we have seen to have fallen away and in those who have yet to come and in, in an entire world that God so loved that he gave his only begotten son, that he might die on the cross and rise again, that we might have hope in him and share that hope with others. And so therefore, because, and thanks be to God for the grace of God that comes to you and to me and is at live and at work in this world, the good ground also represents the place where God is effective in your life and in mine. You see, the the punchline is, and I haven't got to it yet, but I just can't help myself, is that we are all, we are all of those things. We're the road, the paved road with a rocky soil, right? We, have, we live among thorns and thistles, and yet, by the grace of God in Jesus Christ, you and I are also good ground. Not because of anything we've done, but because of what he has accomplished for us. And therefore, we might have all different levels of yield. Not to push the details too far here. We were taught in seminary not to do that. But 30, 60, or 100, 
Maybe that represents the degrees of effectiveness in our Christian lives, perhaps. Yet nevertheless, if I just have 10% yield, Lord, I'll be happy. Not only where the faith is outlawed or opposed, but in places of poverty and despair, do we see God's work silently creating this fruit flowering everywhere. I recently watched, um, I believe it was on, I keep forgetting now, was it on uh, Hulu or what? Henry Louis Gates did a special on the black church. I don't think it was PBS. I think it, it was another platform. And what a testimony it was. This documentary was amazing. And being Juneteenth tomorrow, it might not be an idea if you can find this thing. Uh, I think it's simply called The Black Church, I recall. And uh, in it, he shows how the growth of faith in Christ among a people who suffered enslavement and abuse at the hands of people who claimed to follow that same Christ. How the Word of God took root and bore fruit in the African-American church producing great and wonderful leaders, missionaries, evangelists, and people who give testimony to the work of God in their lives in spite of all the rocks and soils and conditions and vicissitudes of this world. If that isn't a testament to the power of God's word to transform uh, weakness into strength and poverty into true wealth and to lift the lowly and lift them up to the dignity denied them by others, then I don't know what it is. And so take heart, my brothers and sisters. This parable is about how God works in the real world, the fallen world today, and what he's doing to transform it through the power of the gospel at work in all of us. And our takeaway is simply this, that his word will accomplish all that God has intended it to accomplish. Isaiah's vineyard was read earlier, will flourish. And God will bring to pass what he has intended to happen. The question here then finally is not, do not anyone please leave with this wrong notion. What kind of soil are you? Because that, that is such a pernicious uh, takeaway that it could lead either to self-righteousness or despair, can't it? But rather, how do you see Jesus at work in your life and in mine in spite of the circumstances you find yourself in or the attitudes you may have at any given time when you or I are some brand or type of soils of this parable. For in reality, all of us are these soils and conditions at one time or another, but thanks be to God, he's at work in you and will bring forth fruit from your life until the day when he appears. And so therefore, I close with Paul's words of encouragement to the Philippians that was read earlier to us. And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion 
at the day of Jesus Christ. Let us pray. Lord, do your work in us. Cause, cause our roots to grow deep. Cause our fruit to increase. And with it, our hope, our joy, and our love. For we ask this in Christ's name. Amen.